Amen. Hallelujah. Just come find us. I'm excited today. We're going to kick off a brand new series. Brand new series called Treasures. Treasures. Go with me in the word of Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Treasures. It's Christmas time. Anybody notice it's Christmas time yet? You know, my, my wallet does. I heard, I heard that. My wallet knows it's Christmas time. Amen. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. It's funny how confused we can get sometimes. Yesterday I was at a Christmas parade down in St. Augustine, Florida. I was down there. Our uh, Pastor Earl was doing the annual vision casting for Anchor Faith Church. Um, and I just want to let you know uh, that our future is great. We've got some awesome things in store, some awesome things that God is doing. And again, you've got to remember, we are just as connected down there as they are. Uh, so what they're casting down there, we are not separated from that. It's exciting for me, you know, because I got there on, on, on the, the ground floor, man. We were running 17 people in the middle of a middle school. They're running close to 400 people every weekend now, and God is doing some awesome things. But they are seeing things done that I got to hear the vision cast you know, 10, 7 years ago, 8 years ago, and, and now they're doing it. They're operating in it. And it just gets me excited. You know, we're in our ground stages here. We're just getting started here. But I'm going to tell you right now that the, the future is great. The, the future is bright. We have so much ahead of us. And uh, I hope that you get on board with what God is doing in Valdosta. Amen. If they could do it in St. Augustine, we can do it in Valdosta. And all it takes is people. That's all it takes is people, you know, and, and, and sometimes we think we got to build buildings and got to get land before we can do something. But we're not building buildings. We're building people. That's what we're doing here. OK, and I can do that in a rented space. I can do that outside. I can do that in a building I own. I can do that on land. I, I can do that anywhere. We can build people, but we are building people within this place that are going to go out there and change people's lives. Today, we've got our Elevate class. For those of you that recently became vision partners with us, one o'clock, uh, or for anybody that has not gone through that class and wants to uh, get involved in serving and, and learn more about the ministry, this is you today, one o'clock. And we're excited about connecting with you, partnering with you uh, to change this city for the kingdom of God. Amen. Uh, but it's uh, Christmas time, and I was down in St. Augustine, got to see the Christmas parade, and uh, there was a church, you know, churches can put the floats, you know, in the parade, and our church did one, and it was the best one, in my opinion. Uh, uh, it was really cool what they did. They, they basically had the, the full Christmas story in stages, and so out front, they had uh, a choir of angels, they were dressed as angels, singing uh, uh, angels we have heard on high. Angels, we have them just walk it out in front. And then you have the truck come by with the float, and it has the manger scene. And uh, Pastor Josh and Danny and their brand new addition, uh, little Titus, uh, they were there. They were Joseph, Mary, and uh, Titus, I mean Jesus. And uh, they were there holding, and, and so you had the nativity scene. And then behind them was people dressed as shepherds and kings running around handing out things saying, have you heard about the king? Have you, the king is born. Have you heard about the king? And it was just really cool. It was like the full you know, Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, in one event right there. And so we did the best job. Uh, but there was a, another church out there, and uh, you know, they had the sign that said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And they had music playing, and they had speakers you know, coming out from their truck or whatever. And um, it was, Santa Claus is coming to town. 
Jesus is the reason for the season. But Santa Claus is coming to town. Just a little confused. An identity crisis, I guess. I don't know. I've already told my son Santa isn't real. I don't, I don't do that for, you know. Is some of y'all still, we good? Y'all know? Okay. All right, I didn't burst any bubbles in here. Just want to make sure. Sorry, guys. But it's time, you know. It's time. But hey, man, there's a reason. The second reason for the season is Little Debbie Christmas cakes. Those. That's the second reason for the season. From from Thanksgiving on, there is a box of Little Debbie. And if one goes, if I get down to the last one, it's time to get and replenish. You have to have the little, the white with the little green crystals and the... mm. That's the second reason. But Jesus is the priority. And we can't get confused about this in the church, guys. We can't. This is our moment. This is our time to shine. Easter and Christmas, this is our time to shine. This is the time to get the gospel message out. The cross was the first Christmas tree. Amen. We got to get back to the reason for the season. And so this series is somewhat about Christmas. But really, it's about worship. And if you go to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, this is going to be our key text throughout this series. I want to talk to you this month about worship. Matthew chapter 2 is the Christmas story. And in verse 11, it says this, And when they, who's they? These are the wise men. That came from the east. We don't know that there's just three, but, you know, we automatically assume there were three wise men, but there's no account in the Bible that tells us there were three wise men. We assume that based upon the gifts that were given. But in verse 11, it says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him fell down and worshipped him. And it doesn't end there. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Now I'm just going to ask some questions that maybe you've asked, maybe you haven't. But these wise men, if you look at historically speaking, who are we talking about? What's a wise man? What is that? Are they just like super smart guys? Well, what, what denotes that they were a wise man? And what was a wise man? Some accounts even say that these men were actually kings from far away nations. 
And they say the journey that they went on took them at least two years. You know, we, we see a lot of nativity scenes and a lot of Christmas movies uh, where they're bowing down before a little baby that has just been born, has just come out. Uh, you know, they're waiting in the hospital room with balloons and roses saying, you know, they're excited. But this is two years. Jesus is about two years old at this point. The child. What? What in the world would cause these kings that could range anywhere from 3 to 12, some accounts say? Kings. What in the world does a king bow down to? I mean, you are the king. You don't bow down to nothing. You don't submit yourself to anything. You don't posture yourself down low before anything. You are the king. And we have these kings that have traveled so far. I mean, the journey itself took two years. If you keep on reading, you find out that the king, King Herod, now wants to take their life. And so an angel warns them to go another way. So now their lives are at stake. We have these men these kings that travel from a faraway place, risk their lives to bow down and worship a two-year-old child. What would cause that? Why would they do this? Well, obviously we know that this child is Jesus and these people know, they know the significance of this child. They know who he is. But they weren't coming to bow down to a baby, just a person, just a really special individual. They weren't even bowing down to someone that they thought could save them from something. They were bowing down and worshiping the king of the Jews. This baby was a king. This baby was a king. Jesus was born a king. And they bow down. Bowing down is a position of vulnerability. When you are bowed down, there is uh, you, there's no way you can protect yourself. There's no way you can guard yourself. When you are bowed down, when you are prostrate on the floor and, and, and you are bowing down, you are showing that I am below you. I am submitted to you. They bowed down and they worshipped him. And then it goes on that they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures. They presented gifts to him. Not gifts that he could use. Not gifts that he was necessarily worthy of. It was gifts that revealed a part of them. This is something that was valuable to them. And when they give these gifts... It reveals more than I have a lot of money or I have access to a lot of treasure. It reveals their 
heart. See, you know, when, when I asked my wife to marry me, and we have a funny story when we get to our rings uh, and, and the wedding bands that she has, because she's on her third set. She, she's, she's on her third set within the first 12 months of us being married. By, by our wedding date, she was on her second. And I'll tell you why. I will explain why? When we first got engaged, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have access to, you know, a lot of fun. I hadn't saved up for this moment. I hadn't, you know, and, 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 and when I asked her to marry me, I didn't go to the little machine thing. You pop in a quarter and you get out a fake ring. Now, I'll, I'll explain this. Because when you are telling somebody you love them, what you give or what you do is relative to your love. So when we first got married, there was a, a, a $500, it wasn't even a wedding ring. It was called a right hand ring. It's just jewelry. It was diamonds and all that. It was white, gold, and diamonds, but it was just this... It was the style that she wanted, a little $500 thing. Well, we were engaged for about a year, a little over a year, and I had a plan that on our wedding day, when I put the ring on her finger, I'm going to surprise her with a whole new set. But she blew the surprise. It sounds a great idea, isn't it? I, I upgraded to like a, a twelve or $1,300 set, whatever. Why? Because I want to show my love to her. I want to show that I can do better than... Now, it doesn't... She's not gauging my love off of that. But from my heart, I'm saying I want to do better. And then within the first year, we were able to upgrade to what she really wanted. And that's all you get now, so... <laughs> Third time's the charm. Well, what am I saying? That the gift you give or what you do is relative to the love in your heart. It's not about the natural thing. Because there might be, I mean, you, you, you think of two people that are just so madly in love. And they just want to get married. And the guy says, this is all I can get right now. But this is how much I love you. And it's relative to the love inside but there's always something inside of you that wants to give more and there's something that inside of you that wants to do more well these men being kings had access to a lot so what do you give the king of kings that's relative to your heart uh they've done estimations today and these aren't you know by the book, but they say that the amount of these three gifts totaled up into our economy today, into American dollars today, would have come to be around $400 million. Worth $400 million. And they had access to riches. I mean, you think of kings and what they had access to. You think of King Solomon. He's the richest man that's ever lived. 
I mean, wealth to them is, is nothing. The things they have access to. But they brought something of value when they came to see the King of Kings. What I want to show you throughout this series and through over the next several weeks, and, and, I, and I hope you stay with us, because uh, uh, as we do with almost every topic that we discuss in this church, we have to rediscover things. What does that mean, rediscover? R-E means to go back to or to go back to an original intention. And we have to rediscover the purpose for worship. Because what we have relegated worship to is not worship. Singing is not worship. Songs are not worship. Raising your hands is not worship. Dancing is not worship. Loud music is not worship. Instruments is not worship. All of those things that I just mentioned are byproducts of worship. But worship is not relegated to a song, to an instrument, to who's on stage. And, 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 and my best friend, y'all know him, Pastor Marcus. Uh, he's the worship pastor down in St. Augustine, Florida. We've done music together. We did music together for years and did music together. We're on worship. We're on the worship team down there in St. Augustine together. And, you know, him and I both have a passion for worship. He recently went to a worship conference down in Orlando, Florida. Some of the biggest names in worship that you'll ever hear. Some of the biggest names. There's 300 people that got invited. You had to go by invite. That was it. And he got to go to this thing. And some of the biggest names in worship that if I said their names, you'd all know them. And one of them, again, probably the biggest name in, in our country for sure, got up and he says, he said this, he said, I'm beginning to hate the very thing I helped create when it came to worship. He said, I'm beginning to hate the very thing I helped create. Today in churches, there are some churches that, man, they can put on a show like nobody's business. The production is top-notch, Hollywood level. The gear they have, I mean, I asked for $1,500 uh, you know, about three weeks ago, and we met that goal in no time. Easy. But these guys are talking upwards to millions of dollars for the stages and the gear they have. And, and they have it down to a science. They know exactly how to put their speakers in the ceiling so they'll hit everybody. They know exactly how to tune their drums. They know exactly they, they, the, the equipment they use. They use computers. They use all the stuff. They only, they'll hire musicians to get them on the stage so we can sound the best. It's not necessarily about the heart. It's not necessarily about do you love God? Do you love people? Do you want to really worship God? But can you play an instrument? How good are you? How talented? Uh, who have you played with before? What, what, uh, uh, I, I know one church right now that has a guy that plays in a secular band. 
But on the weekends, he helps them in their worship team. And I don't know the guy's heart. He may just be a, must, may just have a love for God. But I, I know the atmospheres he goes in because that used to be me. I used to travel and do that stuff. And I used to go to Waffle House at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I know some of the conversations that take place. I know some of the stuff that happens after those shows. I know the, the people you meet. Oh, well, I thought you were a Christian band. You smell like smoke. You cuss like crazy. Wait, you, is that a beer? You, are you drinking? You're about to go on to It's just amazing stuff that you see. And we, we carry that over into the church because of talent. And he said, I, I am beginning to hate the very thing. I pray we've, we've become so production-minded that we've lost the true heart of worship. And the crazy thing about it is if you lose the heart, you, never, you don't have worship. We've relegated worship to what we do naturally. But worship is not a natural thing. Here's why we have to rediscover this. Because in our country, we live in a democracy, and we don't worship our leaders. We don't worship our president. We don't worship our mayors. We don't worship our Congress. We don't worship our governors. We don't worship our heads of state. We don't worship our vice president. We don't do this. But we, as citizens of the kingdom, are not in a democracy. And kingdoms... Kingdoms are the only governments where you worship your leader. Kingdoms are the only government that do that. You worship a king. You worship a king. So when I say worship, I have to shift our thinking. Because we don't know what worship is. And I'm not going to talk about... Uh, you know, what we do in our worship services. I'm not going to talk about the songs that we sing. I'm not going to talk about the instruments that we have. I'm not going to talk about the, the talent that of, of a musician. Because, look, if, if worship was relegated to those that know how to sing and know how to play an instrument, there's a lot of us that would be left out. I got blessed with one talent, drums. I can't play anything. I haven't tried to, but I, I, that, that's it. Anything that has notes or charts or chords, I'm lost, man. I don't, I don't use a piece of paper to play. I hear it, I play it. That's all I got. And I've always wanted to learn music because I know it's, it makes you that much better, but I just, it is what it is. But I know that there are some people that have no musical talent whatsoever. That can't sing worth a lick. In fact, you don't want them singing up here. I'll just be honest, if you can't sing, we don't want you up on the stage. That's, that's not a bad thing. That means you have a fit somewhere else. That's all that means. That's all it means. If you don't have rhythm, we got another place for you, man. That's not a negative thing. Just get excited about what your fit is. Get excited about your passion. The stage. We, we, we've, we've made the stage the stage. This isn't the stage. That's the stage. We are worship. Leaders. Let me put it to you this way. We are lead worshipers. Up here, there's a demand to worship. 
Up here, there's a demand to have the right heart. Up here, there's a demand. Why? Because we are leading you into the throne room of the king. These men traveled from who knows how far, a two years journey, brought valuable gifts with them, risked their lives to come and bow down and worship a child, a two-year-old child. Here's a couple things. This baby has done nothing for them. This baby has done nothing for them. This baby doesn't even know who they are. This two-year-old child is not thinking, I'm going to help you, I'm going to save you. Or, yeah, I deserve you bowing down to me because of who I am. It's not even thinking that. Here's another thing. These men are not saved. These men are not born again. Jesus has not died on the cross at this time. These men are not kingdom citizens. These men uh, are, are, are not bowing down because they hope to one day go to heaven. Just throwing out some facts to help us see this worship subject. Because worship doesn't have anything to do with any of that. The easiest way that I can put worship, the easiest way that I can sum it up, is that worship is cultural. It's not religious. It's not a religious thing. Worship is cultural. Worship is something that kingdoms do. It's the bottom line. In kingdoms, you worship. It'll make more sense here when we go look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. As with almost every subject, we always get back to Genesis. Genesis is the beginning. Genesis is where you can find originality. And intention is made clear in the beginning. And so God creates the earth. In a term that we're not real familiar with called colonization, God is colonizing earth with the kingdom of heaven. What does colonization mean? That means we are taking a system, we're taking a government, we're taking a lifestyle, we're taking a culture, and we're taking it from one area and we are establishing it in another area. For the longest time, the Bahamas were a colony of England. They were colonized by England. And so they had to submit to the king or queen of England. And they would place someone in the Bahamas called a governor. And that governor's job, the governor's duty, was to make sure that the Bahamas looked like, sounded like, smelled like, acted like England. Well, God in Genesis chapter 1, he's in heaven. He is the king of heaven. But he gets expansion minded because all kingdoms want to expand. All kingdoms want to increase. All kingdoms want to grow. 
So God creates the earth. And then in verse 26, he makes man. He makes you and I. And he puts us in the earth and says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what does God do? God creates the earth, creates man and puts man in charge of the earth. Says you're in charge. You rule this area to make sure it looks like heaven. This is a colony of heaven. So it should operate, act like, sound like, think like heaven. And so he creates man in his image so that they can perform the same functions that God performs in heaven. Well, we know that man fell. And what happens when you fall? You lose your authority. Your ability to rule, your right to rule over an area is directly related to your ability to submit to God. Submission. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin is just a a simple word for disobedience. That's all it is. When you sin, whether you kill, whether you steal, whether you lie, whether you cheat, whether you commit adultery, whether you fornicate, whatever it is. When you sin, you are disobeying the king. And when you don't submit to the king, you lose your ability to rule. So, now who's in charge? Genesis chapter 3. Now who's in charge? Satan becomes the god of this world. Becomes the god of this world because man takes the authority that he had, submits to the devil rather than to God, and whatever you submit to, you hand your authority over And they lost their authority. They lost their authority, gave it to Satan himself. And Satan's the God of this world. Well, thank God Jesus has come back. He died on the cross to get rid of the sin that separated us and then rose again so we could have life and life more abundantly. And we now rule and reign in the earth once again as kings. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 3. All of it talks about us being in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, seated together, raised together, in charge once again. But the submission key is a factor. Because here's one thing that I used to believe, uh, uh, you know, uh, before I really heard the kingdom message and got in the kingdom message. One thing that, you know, and you've probably heard it before, too, is that God created us to worship. Anyone heard that one before? It's okay, you can raise your hand, because God did create us to worship. God created us to worship. God did not create us to just walk around all day raising our hands and singing hymns and, and, and dancing and, and praising. See, when I say God created us to worship, that's the picture you get. I don't see one time where Adam and Eve did that. I mean, all the Psalms are like in the middle of the book. We don't have any Psalms, we don't have any hymns, we don't have any songs worshiping. But in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we have worship. We have worship. In Matthew chapter 2, it said the wise men, they came and they bowed down and they worshipped the child. What is worship? 
In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we see worship, and it's in the form of submission. Worship is submission. And I want to give you a statement that will run its course through the whole rest of this series. You cannot worship what you are not submitted to. You cannot worship what you're not submitted to. And I'll flip it on the other side. Whatever you submit to, you worship. How many times in the Bible do we see where God addresses worshiping other idols? Worshiping other gods, worshiping money, worshiping this, worshiping that, worship, worship, worship. Does it mean that we're, uh, you know, raising our hands in, in, with, with our wallet, our checkbook sitting on the counter and, and, worship, and, and worshiping money, and singing songs about money? We do sing songs about money. The world does. More money, more problems, right? <laughs> Got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Come on, the world knows how to sing about money. The world knows how to sing about sex. The world knows how to sing about other people. The world knows how to sing about those things, but the true picture of worship is what you are submitted to. And you may not go home singing about money, but there might be some people in here that are worshiping money and you don't even realize it. Why? Because you're submitted to it. It's a false god. It's a false idol. What was the issue that the that the Israelites had when they went into Canaan? You know, we get through Joshua you know, a, a, a great book about overcoming, defeating the enemy, taking over something that was bigger than you, larger than you, and just going in and whipping them. But it didn't last very long. We get to the book of Judges, and what happens? We find out that rather than changing the world, the world was changing the Israelites. And why? Because they began to worship their gods. What's that mean? They began to submit to their gods. Worship is submission. That's it. Worship is not my singing. Worship is not my dancing. Those are byproducts because I'm submitted to God. I want to sing. Because I'm submitted to God, I've got to praise Him. Because I'm submitted to God, I've got to lift my hands. But when you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, we have kings that don't bow down to anything. But they are showing a picture of submission to the king of kings. They're submitted to. They're bowing down and they are worshiping the king of kings. And the exciting thing is, is they're not worshiping, worshiping him because he has done something. He's, they're worshiping him because he's going to do something. Worship is not limited to your situation. 
Worship isn't limited to if everything's going all right. Worship isn't limited to payday. Worship isn't limited to a Christmas bonus. Worship isn't limited to a new car. Worship isn't limited to a new house. Worship isn't limited to finding the right spouse. Worship isn't limited to your children obeying you when you ask them to do so. Worship is not... You worship whether it's going good or whether it's going bad. You worship because you are submitted to the king. So we've got to change our thinking. We've got to see worship differently. Worship, since it is a cultural thing, is done all the time. And this is the biggest problem. This is the biggest problem. Because most Christians, most believers, only worship God in a small block of time on a Sunday morning. If that. Now, they may come and sing songs and carry along with the rest of our songs on the screen. They may not even be worshiping. But a true worshiper, a true worshiper worships in here out of the overflow of their life out there. Because culture isn't just something you do every now and then. Worship is not an event. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not an event. Worship is a lifestyle. Look at what David said in Psalm chapter 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at what? All times. His praise shall continually, continually, continually be in my mouth. Continually. It just goes on and on and on. I worship Him in the car. I worship Him in the shower. I worship Him because I'm submitted to Him. And you cannot worship somebody with your mouth that you're not submitted to with your heart. Period. A worshiper is someone that is submitted to God. That doesn't just come in here and sing songs. And play along in here. But out there can't make Jesus the Lord of their life. This is what true worship is. Culture is something you do without even thinking about it. You think about the cultural things that we do in this nation, in America, that we do, and we don't even think twice about it. It's just culture. It's just what we do. Worship should be something that's just automatic. Automatic. It's not determined by the circumstance. You ought to be able to worship in the worst times. I mean, we'll look at stories like Jehoshaphat when he was going out against three nations that teamed up against him. And, and, and God commanded, God said, put the worshipers out front. Well, that sounds like a really stupid plan. God, God, we don't have enough people just by ourselves. Are you going to tell us to, to put the drummers and the singers and the guitarists and the, and, and the choir out there? You don't put the choir out in front of the... No, you put your best guys out. But he says put the worshipers out. Why? Because when you reveal who you're submitted to, 
Maybe some of us aren't seeing God fight our battles for us because we're not submitted to him in worship. This series will change your life. Worship is a position, not a presence. Worship is a position, not a presence. When you come in and you worship a king, you don't worship a king like this. No, you worship a king bowing down in submission. Bowing down. This is vulnerable. This is a position that says, you can do with me whatever you need me to do. This is a position that identifies, I am not here to make any choices or decisions. I'm here to do whatever you tell me to do. I am in a position of submission. I am worshiping you. You bow down. You bow down to a king. You bow down to a king. Worship is specific. And worship is a position, a position of the heart. Because you can bow down on the inside and be standing up on the, uh, bowing down on the outside, but standing up on the inside. It's a position of my heart. It's saying, I'm submitted to you no matter what. These men came, they traveled this far, and they bowed down and they worshipped the child. They worshipped the king. We've got to submit. In First Samuel, Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. You cannot worship what you're not submitted to. And we may fool those around us. We may fool those up here. Uh, but, and look, you, you can't even come up here and, and, and may fool people out there. But you're not fooling the king. You're not fooling the king. You know, like I said, we place a high demand for those that are up on this stage. We don't play around up here. We've got to be people that submit. We've got to be people that truly want to worship God. How are you going to lead people in worship, but you're not submitted yourself? You're standing up. You're calling the shots in your own life. You haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life. And I'm not talking about a prayer. I'm talking about a commitment. I'm talking about a contract. I'm talking about an agreement that, God, you are the Lord of my life. You are the only one I follow. First Samuel chapter 15. Look what happens here. This is a, a chapter. Let me just give you a little backstory. God tells uh, Samuel to go to King Saul and say, I need you to take out the Amalekites. King Saul, he's the first king. He started out good, but ended up bad. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. We talked about finishing last week. We got some finishers in the house today. Got some finishers. We're going to have some people that don't look at how I started. I am looking, pressing towards the goal ahead. But here, 
King Saul gets distracted because God commands wipe out the entire nation. Wipe them all out. Wipe out the king. Wipe out the animals. Wipe out the families. Wipe out the children. All of it. Wipe them all out. But he disobeys. He doesn't remain submitted. And he decides to save the best and he keeps the king alive. And so Samuel confronts him in verse 18 and says, Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Obedience, obedience, submission, lordship. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. That's not where you want to get started. And gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. Now, how did you obey the Lord? And then in your repeated, as you continue in your statement, you say, and I brought back. I mean, how confused. Deceived people are deceived. And they don't realize they're deceived. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. I mean, just listen to this guy's statement. It's terrible. But the people took of the plunder, sheep, oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Sacrifice was a demonstration of worship in this culture. When they would make sacrifices, they were worshiping God. It was a picture of worship. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What's he saying? Just because you bow down on the outside doesn't mean you're bowing down on the inside. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. If my son, you know, obviously he's not old enough to do this now, but one day he will. If I say, hey, Camden, come here. I, I need you to take out the trash for me. And he runs up and he just gives me a big hug and says, Daddy, I love you. You're, just, you're the best dad in the world. You're, you're so awesome. I say, I love you too, Camden. Can you go take out the trash for me now? But, Dad, I just, I love you. You're, you're just, man, you're the greatest dad. You do so much for me. Thank you for everything you do. You're welcome. I love you too. Now, can you go take out the trash for me? No, I, I, no I'm not going to do it, but, but I love you. I love, thank you so much. I just, you're such a great dad. But yet we do that all the time with God. We come in here and, I love you, Lord. 
And I lift my voice. That's why I'm not singing. <laughs> Great are you, Lord. I can't do it like Nikki and Shannon do, man. They can belt it out. Woo! Come in here and we sing the songs. Here I am to worship. You need any more? Do I need to go on? Are you getting the point? But we go out there. We're building sacrifices, lighting fires, and we haven't submitted. Saying, yeah, but I'm asking you to do this with your spouse. I'm asking you to do this with your children. I'm asking. It's funny because we can worship at the beginning of service, but then we don't. Submit financially at the end of service. Within an hour. You see, worship isn't relegated to singing and praising and dancing and lifting my hands. Worship is in what I do. Because if I'm truly submitted, I'll follow through with some things. That's true submission. Worship is a heart that is submitted and the life that follows. My actions follow because I'm submitted. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. What's idolatry? Worshiping something else. And then look what he says. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Guys, an act of worship will never override a heart of worship. Saul thought an act of worship would cover up a heart that didn't worship. An act of submission is really not submission at all if the heart's not right. Praising and singing really isn't worship until your heart's right. Submitting on the outside will never override submitting on the inside. And so as we go through this series, as we uncover the true meaning of worship, we're going to take a look at the inside. We're not going to talk about songs. We're not going to talk about chords. We're not going to talk about octaves. There are some natural things, you know, that sometimes have to be covered in worship. But the main thing that we have to look at is the heart. It's the heart. And this Christmas, what better time to talk about worship than the birth of our king? And when you look at the position that kings took to come find a baby, a two-year-old child, and worship, what were they doing? They're saying, we are submitting to you. And we'll talk about giving. 
Because worship always gives. Worship gives sacrificially. The Bible tells us to give a sacrifice of praise. What's a sacrifice of praise? Well, a sacrifice is something you do that maybe you don't want to do. Something that you give up when you could really hold on to it. But you give a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise isn't, you know, on 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon on payday when the money's finally hit your account and now you can take and you're just praising God for the paycheck and for the job. No, the sacrifice of praise comes when I don't have anything to praise you for. See, when we get the true heart of worship, when we understand the true purpose for praise and worship, doors will open up in your life. Because, number one, we submit to God as our king. And when we do that, he opens things up for us. How many things are locked up? I love this this phrase that Pastor John said. He said, there is nothing that God can do for you anymore. God can't do anything for you. Because he's already done it. That means if we aren't getting something, it's because we haven't accessed it yet. And praise and worship will unlock things in your life when you understand the true purpose, when you learn how to truly submit to the king and learn how to truly bow down on the inside, not just on the outside. You will be amazed at the doors that will open up for you. In area, every area of your life, when we worship. You know, we're about to take up our tithe and offering. That's an act of worship. You know, maybe you've heard some pastors say, we're going to continue with our worship, with our tithe and offering. I remember they used to say that back in the old Pentecostal churches when I was a kid because we always did offering right after the praise and worship. And then we had a, a special where we'd have a, a lady come up and she would stand up here with the microphone that had the big puffy colored thing on top and she would wait for the sound man to start the cassette and the cassette would be all, all the way at the end of the song and so he'd, we'd have to stop and wait for it to rewind and then she'd give a little testimony. Man, this past week, God did, did something so wonderful and, and, and that was what I grew up with. But the giving was a continuation of worship because it's not limited to songs. And guys, there's some of us that, you know, I, I've heard it said before. And, and look, I'm a younger guy. I, mean, I, I can sing some older songs, but most of what we're going to do is going to be some pretty new, modern, contemporary stuff. But I've seen it both ways. I've seen young people say, well, I can't worship. I don't know that song. I don't know those words. That's an old song. I'm not going to go to that church because they, they, work, they play old stuff. And I've seen old people. I've seen the older people say, I can't, man, this stuff's too loud, it's too noisy, these instruments are too loud, these, these words are too fast, these words are crazy, they've got too many choruses, all you need is one chorus, what do you need all this stuff for? Right? Because we limit it to a song. Man, when you come with the right heart, I don't care what song's up there. If it's worshiping and praising my God according to what the Word says, not what the world says, I'm singing along. I'm learning it. I'm doing it. 
because he's worthy to be praised, because he's worthy to be worshipped. He needs my submission. We got to bow down. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the word that's going to come forth over these next several weeks, especially as we begin to go into this Christmas season. May we take time to truly worship you, truly be submitted to you. You are our provider. You're the source of everything, Father. You're the King of Kings. And when we bow down, when we put ourselves in a position of vulnerability, when we put ourselves in a position of uh, of, uh, I'm not calling the shots. I'm not dictating anything. You are the Lord. You are the source. Father, we open up doors in our lives that you can move through, that you can enter through. Father, we don't want to just bring outward motions and emotions. We don't want to bring outward pictures of worship, but on the inside not be submitted. So open up our minds, open up our eyes throughout this series. Help us see, help us see what true worship is. Sacrificial worship. Worship in the dark, worship in the light. Worship when it's good, worship when it's bad. That we will be submitted to you as our Lord, submitted to you as the sustainer of life. And I thank you, Father that we will see heaven open up, bring heaven to earth through our worship. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.